Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor David Hall. If you'd like to find out more about David or to keep up to date with his ministry, you can visit davidhall.com.au. We hope that you enjoy the message. There are 31,124 verses in the Bible. And of those verses, 8,352 of them deal with the subject of Bible prophecy and what's to come. And I tell you all that to tell you this, that that means 27% of the Bible is Bible prophecy. To me, that's enough of a chunk of the Bible for me to consider and for us to consider the end of time important. And I want to tell you that before we go any further... The first coming of Jesus was when he walked the streets of Jerusalem, he walked Galilee, he walked through those regions preaching, teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, I go, he said in John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you shall be also. And so Jesus is in heaven right now preparing for us a place that when we die, when we pass from this life, we'll be, as Paul said, absent from the body and present with the Lord, we'll be with Jesus and we'll be in heaven and it will be a wonderful, most incredible, most amazing. In fact, there's no words to describe how amazing it's going to be when we slip out of this life and slip on into eternity. It's going to be amazing. You might have had family members that have left this life and gone to heaven and maybe you've prayed them back. I have a wife that in the morning, if you wake her up while she's asleep, you get in a lot of trouble. I have trouble getting her out of a warm bed some mornings. Imagine how hard it would be to get someone like you and me out of heaven. You can pray me back. I ain't coming back. I'm staying there. But Jesus is in heaven. And the Bible tells us that there's coming a moment where Jesus Christ is going to return. He is going to come back. The first coming of Christ was the coming of Christ. That He was born of a virgin and he lived on this planet. Then he ascended and he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. But there is coming a moment that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when we study the end times or the second coming or the rapture of the church and all of those things that make up this subject. What we are studying is a subject that in Bible college is referred to as eschatology. Somebody say eschatology or the study of last things. And, and I don't have time to open that subject. In, in fact, to do what I'm doing almost sometimes is a risky thing because it can leave people with more questions than it can answers. But tonight, I want to speak to you tonight about the coming of the Lord. The title of my message is What Will Happen During the End? Tonight, I want to have a look at the different phases or the different moments. And, and some of them are majorly important. They're all important, but some of them are brief and they're important and some of them major in their importance. And so we're just going to have a look at it and uh, I'm going to devote as much time. We'll fly through some of it and have a look. But I want to have a look at the sequential events of the end times. And I'm going to start with the first part of this and there's bits leading up to it. And, and again, you can't cover everything, but I'm going to do my best. The first event in the end of time this would be a held belief by the Baptist Church, by the Methodist Church, basically the, the, the most accepted theology in the Pentecostal Church, the Church of Christ holds to this. Billy Graham preached this. The great preachers believe this. There are some that have a differing view, and you might be in this church with a differing view. And do you know something? We are a church for people with many different views when it comes to end times because they are a non-essential. Your essentials are salvation by the grace of God, being born again by the Spirit of God, believing in Calvary, and what 
what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. You might believe that the rapture happens after something that I believe it happens before. We're not going to fall out over that. I'm just giving the view we believe as a church, but you might have a different view and we still love you. Tonight, I want to start the first event. The first event when it comes to the study of end times or eschatology. I want to have a look. The first thing, number one, the rapture of the church. Somebody say the rapture of the church. The Bible tells us in the book of of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we'll go there for just a moment, and I'll read this quickly. We're going to move through this quite quickly tonight. 1 Thessalonians, and I want to have a look at chapter 4, and, and, and we'll have a look at the 13th verse. And it says this, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now, you've got to understand a little bit about this church. They thought that they were in the day of the Lord. They thought it was all on now. They thought they were, they were in trouble. They thought the judgment of God was upon them. And so Paul writes them a letter just to settle them down a little bit because they were getting a little bit worked up. And so he says, guys, let's, let's, let's have a look at this. And he says to them in verse 13, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And that word ignorance is a funny word. It can mean, it has many different meanings. But one of the meanings of the word ignorant means Uh, willfully believing whatever you want to believe or basically having a shifting view. He says, don't be ignorant. He says, you need to know this. Don't just bury your head in the sand. He says, don't be ignorant. He says, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of God, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Somebody say shout. And with the voice of the archangel. Somebody say voice. And it says, and with the trumpet of God. Somebody say the trumpet of God. And it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Somebody say caught up. Now that's an important piece of scripture right there. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Before I get into the heavier side of this, as Christians, we are comforted by the fact that the Bible says we'll be caught up. We will be raptured. What that actually means is we who are alive or those that are dead that know Jesus, that are born again, will be caught up. There is going to be a shift where when we die, we go to heaven. And so if your uncle died or your parent died and they knew Jesus they're in heaven right now but there is going to be a physical bodily resurrection where, where the, and it's crazy and I don't say this as though, as though I think yeah this is just a normal thing and we should all just go, go along with whatever we hear this is what the Bible says that our bodies are going to be raised up we're going to be glorified bodies with heaven in heaven with Jesus and those of us that are alive on planet earth one minute we're going to be walking and the next minute boom we're going to go to heaven we've seen a picture of this with Enoch in the Bible the Bible says Enoch walked walked with God and he was no longer he was taken up Elijah was riding in his chariot and obviously driving a bit fast because a chariot never came down went straight to heaven and he was raptured Jesus Christ was raptured off the top of the mountain he said I'll be with you always and he said but by by, I'm sending the Holy Spirit he said go and wait in Jerusalem and you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God's going to come on you and as he said those things he was taken up he was caught up the same way he ascended the Bible says the Lord himself will shall descend from heaven. It's not going to be a prophet. It's not going to be some some figment of spiritual importance that's other than Christ. It's God himself. He's the one that left this planet and he is coming to catch us up to himself. We will be caught up. That word caught up comes from a Greek word, which is harpazo. The, the uh, Latin translation of the word harpazo is rapturo, from which we get the word rapture. Somebody say rapture. 
Are you, following, are you with me? Are you with me? So the rapture, the word rapture is the catching away, the catching up. A bird that captures its prey by grabbing it out of the water or however, they are known as a raptor. Certain winged dinosaurs were known as raptor or like a velociraptor, I think we're raptorized, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm not a scientist, but this is a lecture. And you know... But I'm here to tell you all of this, that there will be a moment, and we don't know how, we don't know when, but the Bible says we're going to hear the voice of the archangel, we're going to hear a shout from heaven, and we're going to hear the trumpet of God. If you start hearing a voice and a shout, repent quickly, because you've got about a fraction of a second before you're going to hear a trump, and when the thing goes toot, we're going to scoot. Come on, somebody, are you with me? Now, this is... I believe this man. I be- and, so, and so he says, comfort one another with these words. You say, well, well, what about the mark of the beast and all these things? Let me tell you why you comfort one another with these words. Because there is a lot that we miss out on being part of the body of Christ that the world will have to endure. And I want to talk about it because it's important that we know. It's important that we're ready. And I believe in the rapture. I know it's, I believe it's going to happen before tribulation and trouble comes. And I'll tell you a few reasons. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 says he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I don't know why Jesus would beat his bride before he weds her, before the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. I believe he's coming for a bride that's without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. I believe the church that he's coming back for is going to be as powerful as the church that he left. He left a church alive with the supernatural. And and I believe he's coming back for a church that's alive with the supernatural. Can you say amen? I know this is heavy and it's going to get heavier. So just keep your seatbelts on. Keep your tray tables up. Titus calls the rapture of the church the blessed hope. It's called the glorious appearing of Jesus. One thing that you can say, I guess a Bible type of the rapture is a lot like Noah. He saved them, then flooded. With Lot, he saved them, then destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We are, and, and the Bible says, so it was in the days of Noah. It will be in this season. And it's exactly the same. He's going to spare us, and then judgment's going to be poured out upon the earth. And, and we live in a, a time where everybody says all the nice things about Jesus and all the lovely things about God, but we need to remember that there is a God in heaven who will judge the sinner. He will, ju- he will judge us according to our works as well, but there is a time of judgment coming. And we can say all the nice things about God and they're important, but we still have to preach the truth that there is coming a day where the world is going to go crazy. And Jerusalem and Israel is, I guess, the it's really the thermometer to tell us really how things are going. And it's heating up there all the time. It's getting crazy. That temple in the middle of, of, uh, of, of Jerusalem, the Dome of the Rock, that thing, everybody thinks they own that. The, the, the Jews think it's theirs, and I believe it is rightfully theirs. The Muslims think it's theirs, and, and the Bible tells us that that thing's going to get destroyed and rebuilt. The coming of the Lord's going to come. Can I tell you, that thing's been destroyed and rebuilt. That thing's been in different people's hands, and there's going to come a time where Jerusalem, and, and you think about the pressure that's on the world. It's this small country. It's smaller than Victoria, yet the whole world watches this little country. You've got nukes facing that thing. But the Bible says, if we bless those who are, who are from Israel, the Bible tells in Genesis uh, chapter 12, through us, I'll bl- he says, I'll bless them that bless Israel. I'll curse them that curse Israel. If we bless and we pray for that nation who are God's people, it is such a, a paramount, important place in the picture of Bible prophecy and end times. And so that's why as a church, we talk about Israel. We, we pray for Israel. We believe in Israel. We believe it's God's 
place and it has a special place in the heart of God. But I tell you, Jesus isn't just coming back for Israel, he's coming back for you and he's coming back for me because we're part of the bloodline of Jesus. Can you say, amen, I've got to keep moving. Following this rapture of the church, the world's going crazy, so we're gone. And then we're coming to another season called the tribulation period. Tribulation period, and I'm going to talk about this and the great tribulation period. It's seven years, but well, the tribulation period is three and a half years. The great tribulation period is three and a half years, and there's a very clear distinction of the middle part of that moment. But the tribulation period is going to be pretty crazy. And there's a few reasons, and the Bible talks about it in 2 Thessalonians. We don't need to turn there, but the Bible says the restrainer is going to be taken away. And that's the big reason why the world goes into chaos. Now, the restrainer, somebody say the restrainer. People think the the restrainer is the Holy Ghost. Not true. The Holy Ghost is everywhere and he will be everywhere. His God is the omnipresence of God. The Holy Ghost is going to be everywhere. But the Holy Spirit works through the people of God. And so the restrainer is the church. The church will be taken away. And because there is nobody who serves God, loves Jesus, left on planet Earth, the world is going to be crazy. And we're going to come into a time called the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation. And the Tribulation is going to be a time where a number of things will take place. So the rapture happens. So for the next seven years, we're going to have a look at this. So the first three and a half of those seven years, we're going to see a few things happen. We're going to see the rise of the Antichrist. We're going to see the rebuilding of the temple. We're going to see 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm not talking about the JWs right now, though they believe they are that 144, they're totally and completely wrong. The 144,000 witnesses are going to be Jewish people that are going to get saved in the tribulation, and they are going to preach the gospel with power and authority. You say, well, well, how are they going to get saved if we're gone? The Bible says we're going to get raptured. Our stuff isn't going to get raptured. Every iPod, every iPhone, every CD, every book, every book about the rapture, this sermon will be on iTunes at some point, iTunes won't be raptured, so somebody might type in end times because you're gone. You might be listening to this and the rapture's happened. I've got bad news for you. Uh, It's not looking good. If I were you, I'd go and dig a hole and live in it for the next seven years and just flog a few cows before things get serious. But the rapture's going to take place, but the truth of the gospel remains. 900 million Bibles will be on planet Earth. That, that husband who's married to that nagging lady who said, you've got to get saved, you've got to get saved, the rapture's going to happen. Well, she's gone, so he might find some peace, even though it is tribulation. But, but the truth is also this. He will remember what's been told to him, and he will tell his friends, my wife told me this, and the saving power of God will get a hold. The greatest revival the world's ever seen will happen after we're gone. Isn't it amazing that God has to get us out before the greatest revival will take place? But it'll be an end-time move. Of God. Also, I want to have a look at this, and that is that during this time, during this season, just stay with me, look this way. During this time and during this season, you're going to find there's going to be a lot of other incredible things that are going to begin to take place. And, 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 and one of them, and I, I gestured it for just a moment, is the appearance of the Antichrist. And how many people have ever heard us talk about the Antichrist? The, I mean, what a, what a phenomenally intense thing that a lot of people hear about but don't really know too much about. And I'm not going to say too much about this, but, I, but the, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians talked about the Antichrist as a man of lawlessness 
who's basically going to fake. And, and if, he, if it is legit, it will be very demonic in its nature. But basically, he's going to stage a death and a resurrection. And the whole world is going to see this guy as the savior during this time. And a lot of people are going to follow this person called the Antichrist, who will be the great superpower during this time. And he'll reveal himself as this nice guy. And it's going to be wonderful. And, and, uh, and a lot of people, and I personally believe, is probably going to come from European descent. Pastor George, you're European descent. That's a worry, isn't it? And, uh, but I don't think he's the Antichrist. Christ somehow, somehow, it's, we know that Antichrist will be a genius in intellect, in commerce, in speech, in politics. Well, actually, Pastor George, you are a lot of those things. But the individual who'll perform counterfeit signs and wonders deceive many during that time, and he'll be Satan-inspired. He'll rise to prominence. He'll be arrogant. He'll be boastful. He'll be glorifying themselves. Can I say, watch out, and I'm not saying think they're the Antichrist, but make sure as Christians we're never arrogant. We're never glorifying ourselves. We don't think higher of ourselves than we ought, because really those are symptoms of someone to come that's going to do a lot of damage to the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? And so I want to just say he's going to rise, and in that time, crazy things are going to happen, but what he's going to do is he's going to see himself in that temple in Jerusalem. And that is going to be the moment that you know that things are going to go from being tribulation to the next phase, which is the great tribulation. We're going to come into that time and it is going to get unbelievable. When I say we, we're not coming into that time, the world will. And in that time, the Bible tells us that crazy things are going to happen. The the mark of the beast is going to happen. See, I see Christians, they get all worried. You better, not, you better not have this happen. You better not, these little microchips that are going to come, you better not touch them. It's the mark of the beast. Let me tell you a couple of things about the mark of the beast. You know it's the mark of the beast. You won't ever have to doubt. And secondly, we're going to be in heaven with God. I don't know what it looks like, but technology definitely points to the world getting smaller and smaller. I mean, people used to say that bank card, how many remember the, the credit card bank card? People said that was of the devil because it was a lowercase b logo, but it was three colors. So it looked like 666. So Everyone was freaking out. I had a Visa card with the numbers 666 in it. It wasn't good at all. And, uh, but I still used it. And, you know, because I don't think it was going to do anything. But the mark of the beast starts. And, and, and we're going to see some pretty crazy things start. It is going to be famine, pestilence. People are going to get martyred because of their faith. It is going to be an intensely... I mean, imagine bad and then times it by 10. Probably what you picture hell to be like is nothing like what hell's going to be like, but it's probably what the great tribulation's going to be like. And hell is going to be just 10 times worse. The world is going to be absolutely chaotic. And then what's going to happen, the Antichrist is going to rise and then try to destroy Israel. But God loves Israel. Jesus, the King of the Jews, he, he loves Israel. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he, he loves Israel. And so when he sees this start to happen, there's going to be a battle. And it comes into, I guess, the next part of this. And I guess it's a climax of the Great Tribulation, but it's the Battle of Armageddon. And the battle starts in a place called Megiddo. And, uh, and what happens is that battle begins to rage and it gets incredible. And so it is a total destruction of Israel, but God has had enough. Jesus has had enough at this point, and so he makes a, he, he gets ready to pull some moves that are going to be pretty unbelievable. Let me tell you how bad this battle, the Bible says, is going to be. It says that blood will be as high as a horse's mane for 180 miles, for 350 kilometers from Megiddo all the way to Jerusalem. Blood will be three foot deep as battle wages, and it gets terrible. But the Bible tells us that just at this moment, things 
begin to shift and things begin to change. And, and, and I, I want to I show you this, and I'm not going to spend time on the Battle of Armageddon. I'm going to go to the next part because it brings about the greatest moment. Man, I feel the anointing of God talking about this. The greatest moment that's ever been, which is called the return of Jesus Christ or the second coming of Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible tells that, that, that we need to look and be ready. People that have been left behind that have found Jesus, look for a redeemer. Keep your eyes and be ready for the coming of the Lord because I want to tell you, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And just when we think that the, the devil wins, let me tell you, the devil doesn't win. The devil, in a few short moments, is going to get swimming lessons, or maybe a thousand years, is going to get swimming lessons in the lake of fire. It's not going to be too good. And you might be sitting here going, I'm a visitor. I don't know what you're talking about. The problem is people are so comfortable to preach everything but revelation. But I'm telling you, the word of God that's given to us is there are going to be apocalyptic moments that, it, that, it, that should terrify people. We should be so terrified by what I'm telling you that we cannot sleep and we cannot rest until our family come to know Jesus. Because let me tell you, come on somebody. Church need to hear this more than the world. I'm not preaching this to tell the church, if you don't repent, you're going to go through this and this and this. It's still true. But do you, you and I even really care? We're going to be raptured. So everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. We will shout and sing his praises. Everybody will be happy over there. That's good for the two billion of us. What about the five billion left? What are we going to do about that? What are we, what's, our, what's life point's role? We know all this. We've got to preach the gospel. This church is cute, but man, if we want a thousand people to Jesus every year at Life Point, it would take us 1,200 years to win Adelaide, and it'd take us 2,000 years to win South Australia. And I want to tell you right now, we've got to start believing big. Some of you need, some of you, your dreams are so small that they're going to dream bigger. I mean, some of you that are running home groups, believe God to be running churches. Some of you that are preaching to five people in, in your home group, believe God that you're going to speak over entire cities. Let's believe. And you know, the funny thing is, don't, please don't try, even if you don't agree with me, don't, please don't try and put my fire out. Please, I just can't deal with you if you do that. Because, because I'm believing that the greatest stadiums in the city weren't built for football or cricket, but built for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biggest crowd ever assembled at Wavell Showgrounds, 52,000, was for a Billy Graham meeting where 24,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. 35,000. I sat with 35,000 people when Franklin Graham preached the gospel at Adelaide at Football Park. I'm telling you right now, Adelaide Oval has just been renovated, ready for the great big revival that's going to happen in our city in the name of Jesus. You've got... Some of, you, some of you are sitting there. So I know how you work. Some of you are sitting there going, that's very cute. That's, oh, it's, it's good. It's good. Never going to happen, but it's good. I believe that if it doesn't happen, then we've missed out completely on what God wants to do. We've got to see people saved. and There's an urgency in this hour. And, and this battle, let me tell you what, this is where, 
I sort of feel like I want to, you want to sort of grieve for those that miss out and rejoice for the fact that we're delivered. But the truth is, in our rejoicing of deliverance, let's, not, let, let, let's never fail to remember that there are people that are going to go through the worst of hell that has ever happened on this planet while we enjoy the goodness of God. Do you realize if we shift gear and care about it more now than just think about our own salvation and our own moment, but we care about the, I know I'm yelling, I'm so, if we care about the people around and about us, We have to care. We have to care. I'm I'm here to tell you that Jesus is coming back for a church. He is coming back. But can I tell you, I hope the church is big. I hope hope the church is the majority. I hope the church, I'm not talking about Life Point Church, I'm talking about the church. All over this city, a thousand churches had church in South Australia and he's coming back for them. But do you know something? Why can't we stretch out our faith and believe God? You know, it's funny, it's hard enough to get church people to come to church. I mean, when's the last time we invited somebody to meet Jesus? When's the last time we told somebody, you need to come to church, you need to to be part of it? When's the last time we prayed and we sought God and said, God, flood this land, if I announced a prayer meeting and said, we're going to have a prayer meeting X night this week, some of the faithful would show up, but we truly, as the whole church, should be on our face before God, saying, God, give us souls, give us, give us souls, give us souls. I know, I know this is intense, but what do we do with this information? Where's the urgency in our walk with God? You've got people that will just leave church because, oh, I didn't really like it, so... Oh, I'm a bit offended. I might have a few weeks down. I'll, can I say, we're, it's not even about church. We've got, we got to burn with the gospel. We've got to say, Jesus. I feel called to preach the gospel all over the world. I feel like this city can be one to Jesus in a moment of time. But we've we got to shift gear. There's too many Christians that are they're sleeping around. They're getting drunk. They're living in sin. They're, they're hooked on pornography. They're, they're hooked on whatever they're hooked on and, and know what the Bible says and, and think they're, they're just on this grace trip to heaven all the way wonderfully, but living in willful sin. Can I tell you, there is a great chance that maybe, that maybe when the trumpet God sounds, we think we got it covered because we come to church or we pay our tithes. I don't care if you come to church or pay your tithes. How, where are you at with God? Maybe you're sitting in this room tonight and, 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 and you, you hear the messages week after week. Christians, I, I think we, we, what we've defined as Christianity has become so politically correct, anything goes. But Jesus says, come out. Well, the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see God. And you know, we've got a church today that are just fans of Jesus, like we're fans of everybody else, yet we won't give up lifestyle. We won't give up our finances. We won't lay our life down for the things of God. We won't lay down everything for the gospel. We'll only give to the gospel what we can be bothered giving, but we'll hold on and build our own life. And can I tell you, where, where are some John the Baptist that are stepping up and saying, prepare the way of the Lord? Where are people like Evan Roberts who in 1906 or 1903 began to cry out for God? God, would you save Wales? Would you save Wales? And so great was the revival that the football stadiums, if you go through Wales, they, they didn't have penance. They didn't have the major national games. It was revival in 06, revival 07, revival 08. You go to pubs and it lists the years of, of football games and victories and, and the years that uh, 1906, 7 and 8, it just says revival, revival, revival. People would say, how do you get to a prayer meeting? Where are the prayer meetings? They didn't advertise church services. They said, get on the train. You'll feel where it is. 
Can I tell you, I I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this Western, trendy, sexy little brand of Christianity that we're trying to create to just get the numbers. I I want numbers, but I want numbers taken out of the hands of darkness and put into the hands of God. Born again, but come on, somebody, I'm preaching all right, you know. Born again. This isn't the game. We're not playing marbles. Some of us are playing marbles with the diamonds of God's truth. I want a revival. I want a move of God. I want to see heaven rain down. I want to see this city wonder Jesus. I, I want to see this city changed by the grace of God. And, and you know, the truth is, it'll happen if we would actually say, God, I give you my heart and give you my life. I bow my knee. I bow my knee to Jesus Christ. I give my heart. I give my life. I want to live for serving the kingdom of God. I think there's too much, too much of games that we're playing. Say, you say you got something, are you trying to fire me up? Or get, I'm just trying to say, are you actually ready? If, you, if, if you're called from this life right now, I'm not here to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm here to get you to consider it and say, God, where am I at? People that lie and lie and lie. The Bible says no lie will enter the kingdom of God. And that worries me. I love to tell fibs. <laughs> I watch Christians, they're hot, they're cold, they're hot, they're cold. I want to I want, I want to make sure I stay hot. So I'm fire for Jesus. I know I've gone a bit heavy tonight. I don't do that often, but I, I do think as a people of God, we need to be serious about the gospel. We've got to be serious about the fact that Jesus is coming back. And here's a question that I'll ask you. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Are you ready? Oh, you know, I'll give it time. I'm just having fun right now. Can I tell you, the moments are so urgent. I, we don't have time. Life point, it can't just be, you know, a pretty little church and two locations. We've got Ridgehaven, we've got City, and got lots of nice little things we want to do here. I just, I'm tired of safe, nice domesticated, palatable Christianity. The gospel's a lot of things, but it was never really palatable. It was a stumbling block. See, people think the cross is an addition to your life. No, it's an ultimatum. It's saying you exchange the life you live for this life. It's not a different life, it's a new life. It's surrendering. Paul said, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Can I tell you, I am not my own. I don't live for me. My money's not my own. My time's not my own. My, my, my world is not my own. I live in obedience to what he tells me to do. And my life, my wife's life, our family, we, are born, we were born to die to ourselves to live for Jesus Christ. And you know, there's people sitting here today, you have gifts and you have talents, you have anointings, you have grace on your life to do something. But instead, Christianity's just become something of convenience to you. Can I say, why don't you just shift your priorities back that Jesus is the reason for everything. Build your life around Jesus. Build your time around Jesus. Build your study around Jesus. Build your morals around Jesus and say, as for me and my house, your house might just be you at the moment. It's a lot easier to yourself. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve God because he's going to come. It's going to be a battle. We're going to be in heaven. I know I've gone, turned right, but the next Part second coming of Jesus Christ. We rise with him. I want to show you what the Bible says because I think this is pretty cool. Revelation 19, this will make you happy. This, is anyone happy tonight? Yeah. 
Does anyone love Jesus tonight? The 11th verse says this, this is what John saw on the Isle of Patmos. He said, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Capital F, capital T, Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, the with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod, with a rod of iron. And he himself treads a winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the Bible tells us that that is the one that's going to... See, people, Joel, people have this view of Jesus. Joel and I grew up in the same era where Sunday school was, was, was pictures of Jesus that made him look lame. It made him look underweight. It made him look... He had perfectly capped teeth. He had a perfectly clipped beard, perfectly permed hair. He had just had his nails done. He holding a peace sign and holding a little sheep and, you know, just looking like a hippie, underweight, sick Jesus. Looked like he hadn't been too well. And the Sunday school teacher would say, if you're in trouble, just talk to him. And you'd look at the picture of Jesus and say, well, what's he going to do? He, can't, he, needs, he needs help himself. And, and, that, and I, you say, we don't talk about Jesus that way. I'm not. I'm talking about the picture of Jesus. This is the Jesus that I imagine. Eyes like fire, hair white like wool on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus went to church one day, didn't like what was happening. He began to shove the tables over, started whipping people. Who brings a whip to church? Jesus in the picture, he never would have shoved over a table. He would have written a strongly worded letter. It would have been anonymous because he wouldn't want to rock the boat. He said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. I mean, how would you like that guy to shove a church? No, thank you. But I tell you, the Jesus that we serve, he means business. Some people think Jesus is just nicely nice and just all gentle and just accommodating every one of our whims. There's come a moment where the mongrel in Jesus... I mean that with every bit of reverence and respect is going to come ready to take back what the devil stole, ready to take back the injustice that the enemy's poured out and do something supernatural by his grace. And we ride with him. Zechariah tells us in chapter 14, verse 5, thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. The Bible says, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his throne in glory. Not only will the angels come, but we come. Now, I'm going to do this so fast. I'm going to read them so I don't get all nervous when I say points. But there's six things that Jesus is going to do when he comes back. A, he'll defeat the Antichrist and his armies, Revelation 19, 19. B, Christ will regather and restore faithful Israel, Romans eleven twenty six. C, Christ will judge the living, Matthew 25, 31. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. D, Christ will resurrect the dead. This is not the rapture. He's going to raise up Old Testament believers and people that have been converted during tribulation will be raised, Revelation 20, verse 4. Christ will bind the devil, Revelation 20, 1 to 3. And I'll talk about that as, as I close in just a minute. And, and, and that's E and F, Christ will establish himself as king, Revelation 19, 6. 16. So the second coming brings us into the next season, which is the millennial reign of Christ. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We're going to live on earth. It's going to be incredible. 
Those who are raptured will live sinless lives. We're going to live here and it's going to be unbelievable. We are blessed. We are going to live in a time of God's favor and God's grace. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible literally. I don't know. Can I just say that real quick? We, I, we, I guess we've covered that in the series. We believe the Bible is exactly as it's intended. It says what it says. It means what it says. So I'm not making something up. You might go, this is random what I'm hearing. I'm preaching the Bible. I'm preaching what was given to us by Paul, by John, by Jesus. This is pro- prophesied by Isaiah prophesied by Daniel. This is absolutely the word of God. I'm not making it up. You say, David, do you feel silly sharing this stuff? No, I don't because it's the Bible. But I do recognize that when I preach it, there's going to be people whose natural mind goes, I don't know what to do. But the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So I preach this stuff with, with, with some kind of great weight upon my shoulders because this is some complicated stuff. But we're coming to a time where there'll be the millennial reign of Christ After that, there'll be a judgment. And then after a thousand years of him reigning on this planet, there is a final part of this story that is called the establishment of a new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21 talks about a heavenly city, 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles high, streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl, beautiful. And that is that heaven is a physical place. It's not a metaphorical place. Heaven, the physical heaven will settle on Jerusalem and God will establish a kingdom forever and ever. Isaiah tells us that of his kingdom there shall be no end. His name will be called Wonderful and Mighty God and Prince of Peace. The government shall be upon his shoulders. It is going to be beautiful. Let me tell you, you might feel like the enemy comes against you. Can I remind you that we serve a God who is so much greater, that where sin abounds, grace does more so. Can I remind you that when we feel like the enemy's got God on the run, the enemy's just getting rebellious because he knows what's to come. The enemy is never a step ahead of God. God is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Come on. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And it's going to be awesome. If you believe it, give God a bit of a shout in here tonight. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear God in heaven, I come to you right now in Jesus' name. And I give my heart to you. And I ask you to come in and change me and make me new and wash me clean by your precious blood. Right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Wash it away by your precious blood. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I give you my life from this day forward. With all that I am and with all that I have, I'm a child of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen.